Welcome, everybody, to the Locked On Lakers podcast. I'm Anthony Irwin. I'm joined by Pete Zayas. Pete, today's hypothetical question is... I had it a second ago. Oh, are you a Stars fan? A Star Wars fan? We no. talked yesterday about Harry Potter, but but Star Wars, is that up your alley? No. My, my best friend growing up, growing up was a huge Star Wars fan, so I was... Mm-hmm exposed to it and familiar with it and all that but that one that doesn't do it for me i i i'm more yeah harry potter is one of the few like fantasy things i'm i'm really into i know i've never gotten into like superheroes and mm-hmm. fantasy and things like that kind of like dystopian stuff but it's a little darker i guess <laughs> you, you'd like the new brockmeyer um yeah I, I i think we're zeroing in on your taste I, it seems to me you like more kind of societal pieces yeah, yeah. you know like things that point living, out what's going on and yeah we're living in a dystopian prison right now actually so you know <laughs> maybe someone will write about it you're, you're enjoying this binge watch is what you're saying uh, no, this, this show fucking sucks <laughs> I, I would like to change it and give it a one-star review because this is bullshit <laughs> Like Netflix asks, are you still watching? Yeah, you're I am no. You're like, no, God, please. My eyes have melted off. <laughs> um, all right. Well, t- today's show, uh, today's show, we are going to talk about, we're going to dive into a what if. We've done a bracket. We've done a deep dive of a, of a person or whatever. And now with this one, we're going to dive into the what if and in this situation it was the Lakers hiring Mike D'Antoni after firing Mike Brown in the 2012-2013 season. So uh, Pete, I'm just going to throw to you and give us a background of of when uh, what went on there. So yeah, the, I think it's probably best best to start with the roster moves in the offseason, right? Lakers really went all in. Um, they acquired Dwight for Andrew mm-hmm. Bynum and a first round, I think it was two first round picks. And the second one was supposed to convey in like 2017 or 2015. Anyway, we, we ended up getting out of that because the Lakers were so bad for so long. That was the pick that we were always, actually no, th- this impacted two picks. It was the pick that ended up going to Philly we traded three first-round picks this offseason, mm-hmm. two for Nash, one for uh, Dwight. For Dwight, along with Bynum. And, yeah, all those years where we were like, oh, it's only top three protected in the lottery was because of this offseason, right? So, um, yeah, we got Dwight for, for Bynum, and Bynum, that was Bynum's lone all-star year. Uh, and Bynum was considered by many to be the second best center in the game with Dwight as mm-hmm. the best. But he, but Dwight was still a clear upgrade. He um, had won the Defensive Player of the Year award three times. Uh, we'd gotten Steve Nash in that trade for uh, with Phoenix. It was a signing trade. On July 4th? Mm-hmm, yep, on July 4th. I was at a Dodger game, actually, when I got mm-hmm. a, a text from one of my players. I was like, oh, crap, we got a squad. And um, so, yeah, the we had Mike Brown as our coach. Mm-hmm. And he was trying to run the Princeton offense. Now, the Princeton offense has value in an older game, and I think that it was Brown's attempt to, like, how am I going to use two bigs, right? How am I going to use Powell and Dwight? And But it was very it was ill-conceived because, really, you want to be running that team through Nash and Kobe. and. Yeah. The whole reason it's the Princeton offense and a team like Princeton ran it is because they did not have the athletes and ball handlers at a yeah. place like Princeton to really break a defense down. And the so the issue with that is with the Princeton offense is there's a lot of bodies in the paint. The closest thing I can 
compare it to in shorthand version is that one four high offense that Luke was running a lot last year, which we loved. Yeah, we loved that, right? Uh, (laughs) So yeah, it was really, really uh, congested. Went zero and eight in that preseason, and then Brown started one and one and four, Four. Mm -hmm. and then. Kobe gave him that death stare in a loss in Utah, Basically I believe it was. Yeah, and, and uh, he was vanquished. He, he uh, disintegrated like, oh, what's the Marvel movie with the, where Spider-Man disintegrated? This is how, this is how fluent I am <laughs> in these that? things. Marvel we movie? <laughs> we should do Are you talking about when Thanos has everybody disintegrate? Yeah, yeah, where he snaps his fingers okay. and people start going and blowing away to dust. <laughs> yeah, that was, uh, that was uh, Infinity War. Oh, that's the one. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's basically what Kobe did to Mike Brown. Um, yeah. Except he didn't come back. So, uh, yeah, we had the Bernie Bickerstaff era uh, for like five games, and it was rad. He was just like, all right, guys, go do your thing. We went four and one in that time. And in the highest uh, winning percentage amongst that's right. Lakers head coaches <laughs> in the history of the franchise. That's right. That's right. And so, uh, <laughs> so we had. Uh, during that time, the Lakers had been courting D'Antoni, who had been with the Knicks before that and had taken the previous year off. Mm-hmm. And um, and then the report comes out that, oh, the Lakers have called Phil Jackson. And mm-hmm. so there's this, what was it, four or five day stretch where it's like, oh, crap, what are they going to do? Will they, right? won't they? What are, yeah. Right. And they uh, they ended up going with D'Antoni, right? And this is a, a, a great what if, right? Late is, in the we, evening, too, by the way. Late like in that, the evening, right. <laughs> that, news, that news came across yeah. everybody's kind of text messages like late, late at night. Yeah. And so, you know, everyone knows Phil's background. Uh, D'Antoni had some success with the Knicks. I mean, you know, relative to being with the Knicks. Um, but Phil Jackson had Lynn won Sanity. 11 titles. And yeah, Phil won 11 titles. Uh, we knew what we were getting with him. You just don't, I, I'll forever be upset by this because both from the, you know, maybe they should have hired Phil, uh, which we'll talk about here, but also the, it's incredibly unfair to do to yes. the new coach. Right? Yes. Is That's like, a huge point. Yeah. Just like you had, we want Phil chance in D'Antoni's first game. D'Antoni had just had a back surgery. So he was uh, kind of slow and coming back. Yeah. And anyway, um, just yeah, don't don't put your new coach in that position where they're chanting the name of another coach. Like if you're gonna give Phil Jackson a, a holler, then then hire him, right? Don't yeah. don't put. So it was just really really poor management. But that's basically the the context of how we ended up with Mike D'Antoni, right? Is it's this season that was supposed to be a super team, and it starts out really poorly. And uh, doc, Dr. Buss was also getting sick, sicker mm-hmm. and sicker at that point. I think he wanted to see one last squad go for it. Uh, so, yeah, there was a sense of urgency to that team where they didn't have much patience for Mike Brown after those first five games in a, in a winless preseason. Yeah, there was there was some, you know, non-confirmed or, or semi-confirmed reports that the Princeton offense was Kobe's idea, uh, that he had, like, seen videos of it or something and was really a fan of it. Uh, but that, you know, I, I believe the starting point on that was Bill Simmons. And then when the beat reporters started asking questions about it, it didn't go anywhere. So I don't I don't think it really holds much water. Uh, but, yeah, I, I think 
I think this was all born out of desperation, right? You had the desperation that comes with having the roster that the Lakers had, the commitment to winning right now that they made, and then also the off-court situation with Dr. Buss being likely on his way out. He passed away the following year uh, in 2013. So you had all of this kind of come together for this immediate move. All right. At first with Mike Brown, it was, well, it's – Oh, and eight, it's preseason, right? I remember going through preseason thinking, like, they lost their first game. I was like, oh, well, I mean, hardly, anybody hardly played. And then they lost right. their second one. Oh, well, I mean, I mean, does preseason actually matter? They lost their third, fourth, and fifth games in a row. You're like, all right, this is this is, this is is a little weird. And then five, six, seven, and eight, or, or six, seven, and eight, uh, when, you know, you're kind of in dress rehearsal stage, and they never really looked good. Right. There was there was a lot of of unease around the fan base, and then they start one and four in that in those first five games. Kobe gives a death stare. Basically, uh, like you said, Thanos snaps uh, Mike Dan- uh, Mike Brown, and uh, Bernie Binner- Bickerstaff takes over. And I, I remember specifically enjoying the Bickerstaff era because it was literally like, all right, here's the ball. Like, yeah, like just go, go play, go play. Yeah. <laughs> you guys are better than everybody else. Just, just go play, right? And and I remember there was a lot of frustration with the Princeton. I, I know on, on my part there was a lot of frustration on the on the Princeton offense in particular because like so I was coaching at Esperanza at the time, at the time, and Canyon High School was like the 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 best team in the league, and they were running the Princeton offense, but they were like this smallish public school with like some crazy good shooters, but not much size, not much athleticism. Mm-hmm. And it was just like it was this thing that allowed them to play the variance game, right? And and I remember looking at like I, the, the way I basically explained it at that time. The 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 Lockdown Lakers podcast was me yeah, like talking and annoying my dad about what's going on with the Lakers, and I told dad like, all right, compare Canyon's roster and the makeup of their team to the Lakers roster and the makeup of that team. The same offense shouldn't be run by both teams. Right. No, certainly not. And like I see where they were going in terms of like system basketball. That that roster was slow, and I think that you know doing the aut- autopsy of what happened that season, even beyond Kobe's injury, mm-hmm. just that that team at that point with Nash. Nash at that age is well slower than your average point guard, and he was mm-hmm. hurt for much of the season. Um, although he did play in fifty games that year. Uh, you know, Meadow was slow for a three. Kobe was 34 at that time, so he was getting yeah. up there and not as fast. Really, at every position except for center, they were a good deal slower than their counterparts. And yeah. so when you got four guys in the lineup that are like that, playing a slower, more methodical game where you're making more reads and, and all of that, like I get where they were going with that, mm-hmm. but really you did not have the spacing on that roster to be able to play that way. And so when they were playing under the the Princeton offense, it was really the offense that really struggled during that time. Yep. Uh, Let's take a quick second here. When we come back, I want to go deeper into – uh, not just the hiring of Mike D'Antoni, but the process that led to it. We've already kind of alluded to the way they kind of screwed D'Antoni right from the get-go. And I actually think some of that is the starting point with some of what's ailed them really since. So when we come back, we'll talk about that. Today's episode of the Locked On Lakers podcast is brought to you in part by MyBookie. Sports have come to a screeching halt with basketball benched and pitchers off the mound, but our friends at MyBookie aren't going to let it get you down. 
stay sane and entertained with access to your favorite games like blackjack, roulette, slots, war, and more. It doesn't matter whether you're out on the front lines or quarantined at home. The fun doesn't have to stop thanks to MyBookie. Video poker not your thing but still need a fix? They've got you covered with a host of live casino dealers online. That's right, they have professional dealers at their tables live on site 24-7. Your favorite squad sideline because of the pandemic? Don't even sweat it. MyBookie has partnered with some of the leading esports brands to bring you wagers on virtual action straight from the court in NBA 2K. Plus, you can always do your part to make your bankroll great again by taking advantage of the shifting odds on political bets. You can trust the industry leaders in times like this. They're reliable, upright, and best of all, they pay fast when you win. Visit mybookie.ag and use the promo code LOCKEDONNBA for a 150% bonus on your first casino deposit. That's that's promo code LOCKEDONNBA to receive a 150% cash bonus on your first deposit, and you can claim the extra funds all the way up to $750. Again, Promo code is locked on NBA to activate this offer. That's promo code locked on NBA. You spin, you win, you get paid. Boy, this feels like forever ago. But yeah. I, I remember, <laughs> well, not, not just like the 2012. I'm talking about. What I'm about to bring up. This feels like forever ago. When we were talking about actual basketball. Oh, yes. Yeah, those were the days. <laughs> uh, but I had made kind of an analogy previously to somebody who, like, updates, completely updates their wardrobe and isn't quite comfortable or, like, gets a new haircut, right, that is very different from, like, their normal haircut. And it's, like, they aren't quite comfortable with it. You can see it as they're walking around that, like, they're kind of looking at them in, in, in like, the the uh, reflection on, on buildings that they pass by. Like, I don't, you know, they aren't, they aren't too sure of it. And I felt like that was the starting point here of the Lakers trying to modernize as an organization was this Mike D'Antoni hire. Oh, that's was, a good point. Yeah. Was like they were like, you know, they bought this brand new jacket that has like like three more zippers than they're necessarily comfortable with. And they're <laughs> you're like, all right, here's how we're gonna do this. We we got this jacket on. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna pretend like this is really my deal. But then like in the back of their minds, they're thinking, Yeah, but but my favorite jacket is back there, and that was Phil Jackson. And I, I really think that I would just be fine with that jacket from before, <laughs> right, right? Right. And unfortunately, what this means, though, for like where the analogy kind of loses its steam, is that it's not like when you wear that first jacket, your friends and everybody outside is going to yell at you, "Where's your first jacket? Where's your favorite jacket?" Right. And that's essentially what Mike D'Antoni walked into: is that like everybody knew that the Lakers were trying to modernize, trying to give themselves this facelift, but didn't really know how to do it and and pulled it off about as poorly as they possibly could have and d'antoni's era or the 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 d'antoni era was just shot in the foot right from the beginning very much so and even beyond the fans the players too right you you want to make sure that all of these egos are on the same page and do you think like kobe bryant wanted mike d'antoni over phil jackson or Pau gasol wanted that uh phil was a big dwight howard guy so it, it was really of all of the mistakes, we talk about Dang and Mozgov in 2016. I would argue that Jim Buss's the worst mistake of his 
of, of his tenure was actually the D'Antoni hire, not yeah. just from the perspective of hiring D'Antoni. D'Antoni's a very good coach, and that's yeah. proven to be the case. He's still one of the better coaches in the league now. But the whole way that was handled and the complete misunderstanding of the people involved was just atrocious. And, yeah, it put, put everybody in a bad position and put, you know, players who'd won multiple titles on the Lakers in a position where they didn't believe in what they were about to do from the beginning, just as fans were shouting, we want Phil. I'm sure that's what Kobe and, and Powell and others were <laughs> wanting to do, right? We want Phil. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, no, I, I, I think there's a lot to that. I also, from I, I, I want to ask this because this was when we first decided that we were going to do this, you know, late-ish last night. One of the first kind of questions that came to mind in the what if, what would this look like had they gone with Phil? But the Lakers, from a chemistry standpoint, we've talked about this on, on a few occasions, just clashed really publicly, right? Really mm-hmm. obviously that it just wasn't quite working out there. And I feel like, and, and this is where I want to ask this to you, do you think... Do you think handles or Kobe handles the leadership role a little bit better with Phil? Do you think Phil nudges him better in a direction? Because like Mike D'Antoni can't say shit to Kobe about right. leadership or winning or anything like that, right? If mm-hmm. Mike D'Antoni approaches Kobe about anything other than that isn't the modernization of basketball, right? Which right. Mike knew better about than than Kobe, I would say. Right, but, but, but it, at it, the time, but you don't know that at the time, right? Right. Because like, Kobe, like, it's like Kobe's like, I got five, you got none. You yeah. Know? Like, yeah. So well, like really anything, right? Yeah. So, yeah. but if they hire Phil, do you think Phil kind of nudges Kobe in a direction that allows him to be or handle that leadership role better than he did with Dwight specifically? I, I think there's no question about it. If there was anybody who could have handled that dynamic I do think that it was Phil I actually think Phil would have done his best work with Dwight himself on an individual level Mm. because I think that in that dynamic like a 27 year old Dwight versus a 34 year old Kobe like which one should shut up and listen yeah it's Dwight right does that Mm -hmm. mean that Kobe handled it like Kobe was always going to be Kobe like Kobe had a code and a set of principles basketball wise that he was like I'm not going to compromise on this he had deeply held basketball beliefs that were that Phil Jackson did a lot to shape and so I don't think I don't necessarily think Phil would have had to pull Kobe aside a lot and uh yeah, I don't think he he would have had to pull, pull him aside, but I think that there yeah. would have been more of an understanding, and Phil would have like uh, pulled Dwight aside a lot more. And yeah, like, hey, I think you know. Dwight. Mm-hmm. And you, so, go ahead. No, sorry, but I, I think the irony though is that that team had a really good second half in part because Kobe was like, "Fuck it, I'm taking over," and yeah. in a lot of respects that's kind of what D'Antoni's system is right like watch James Harden it's like yeah. yes I want to give the ball to my best ball handler and watch him dominate and then create space and do all, you know all of these things to maximize the pressure that he puts on your your defense so that that second half of that season was like a little sliver of what it would have been like if Kobe would have embraced it from the beginning I think mm-hmm. um but yeah it took a long time to get there and and the toll that Kobe had to put on his body to get them to the point of making the playoffs um, 
yeah, we saw how that we saw how that we saw how that ended. Yeah. I also want to talk about the pow aspect of the of this too, because again, my my problem with Mike D'Antoni has never been the X's and O's of his coaching style. I think the elements of his of of the strategy that he has brought to the NBA has completely reconfigured the way that offenses are run in the NBA. Oh, right? absolutely. Yeah. And and so like I'm not I, I will never sell him short there. What I my problem has always been with Mike D'Antoni is that like he's a bit of an ass. Mm-hmm. Like he and 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 the way that he carries himself, I don't think he has necessarily earned the ability to do that. Maybe mm-hmm. not from, you know, I, like I said, he has changed the way that basketball is played in the NBA, but he hasn't done any actual winning with it, like, it, it, you know, in, in, in situations that matter. Now, I don't want to go down the whole, like, well, Phoenix would have won in this year had, you know, Amari not taken a step onto an inch onto the court and been suspended for some stupid reason against the Spurs. Like, I don't care. At the end of the day, uh, right now, the, the resume is is lacking in one specific area with Mike D'Antoni, and he doesn't carry, he doesn't acknowledge that fact in a way that I think maybe he should. And and I think with this team specifically, I think this was really the worst example of that, yeah. where uh, not just with the way that he handled the Kobe Dwight dynamic. Remember there was that meme where D'Antoni was sitting on the on the medical bench with his knee all wrapped up, and then he had Kobe and Dwight there, and they were like, "Ha see, we're joking because we like each other." They, but that you know, everybody who looked at that was like, "No, no, no, those guys legit don't." <laughs> like yeah. that was the hammer and the the. the the final nail in the coffin that was like, no, those guys really don't like each other. And yeah. uh, but with Powell specifically, though, I think you made a great point about Dwight, what what Phil might have done for Dwight. But what do you think Phil might have done with Powell there to better utilize him as a player in ways that Mike D'Antoni just never was able to figure out? Yeah, no, that's a great question. And he's probably the guy who suffered the most mm-hmm. because of that, uh, of not having Phil. Phil was always brilliant at using POW in high-low passing actions. One of the things, one of the ways that defenses always defended Kobe was to blitz him, right? Mm-hmm. Whether we're talking, you know, we think of double teams as something that happens in the post, but uh, teams would blitz him on, on ball screens, and mm-hmm. Phil would often lift so so imagine it's a Kobe Dwight Howard uh, pick and roll and then two defenders trap Kobe as he's coming off of that screen right and yeah. so Dwight's going to roll to the basket and what would happen is Powell would be on the opposite side yep, and he'd be, lift, he'd be lifting so he'd be coming to the top of the key and so what their pro- what defenses are probably going to do because that's Dwight Howard the best role guy in the game at the time mm-hmm. t- defenses would often you know send help from uh, from uh, elsewhere to to Dwight often off of our test um, but Powell being lifted would either be like an easy free throw line jumper which was which he was very good at it yep. uh, when, when especially unguarded or off more often than not that high low action where it's like. Yep. How then the lob to Dwight, and it's mm-hmm. an easy alley oop because you got a point guard rotating over a guard running trying to stop that, and it's not going to happen. And D'Antoni did not do a ton of lifting with his because it was more D'Antoni's offense is very stationary in a lot yeah. of ways, and, and based on maximizing space, and it would be more pow in like the weak side wing or the slot on the weak side that doesn't quite have the same passing. That's angle. why he so, preferred Earl Clark for some stupid reason. Right, right. He wanted Earl Clark oh, yeah. out there. <laughs> yeah, and and Powell didn't respond to any of that particularly well. Like Powell, Powell had some blame, um, 
Yeah. You know, to, to, he, he didn't handle it well, but Phil would have been much better because he would have utilized Powell's passing significantly better than, than D'Antoni did. I agree. Let's take a quick second. I have one more question about kind of how things went in the immediate situation here. Um, and then we're going to open it up to, cause this actually, in my opinion, laid the foundation. Like this was, this was when everybody knew, okay, yeah, Jim and Jeannie just are never going to get along. Like this was, this was the final kind of domino that fell there where everybody, everybody knew there is a rift and that thing is, is not going to be solved anytime soon. So, uh, when we come back, we'll talk about that. How do you think things go if D'Antoni is hired, but Phil's name is never brought up? Ooh, um, better. I think it would have still been like exactly what you're talking about, Anthony, about the about D'Antoni's people skills. I think that that would have really clashed with. Again, there was. <laughs> Like, there was a gap to be bridged, I think, if, if D'Antoni had better people skills with modernizing the Lakers. And we saw mm-hmm. in that second half, right, of Kobe being, like, 2013 Kobe was a bad dude, man. Yeah. And uh, if, if D'Antoni could have made the basketball arguments more convincing to, to Kobe rather than a, I'm right because the numbers say this, like that's not the way to, to build that bridge. So I I still think that that still remains, but I also think that it also would have been nice for like D'Antoni to have a training camp, (laughs) you know, like had, had they just hired him over the off season and and let Mike Brown go. I, I'm having a hard time thinking of, a, diff- a bigger difference between two offenses than the Princeton offense and Mike D'Antoni's <laughs> offense, right? So to like yeah. go from one to the other on the fly, uh, it would have worked out better. It still would have started out slow. Um, I think in a lot of ways that roster was not built to like because it wasn't built around spacing and speed, which is what D'Antoni really has thrived on historically. Yeah, man, I, I think it's better, but I don't think I, I think it was kind of from the start. What do, what do you think, man? Do you think that they had a, a chance to modernize with that team, or are there kind of is there a more optimistic version of what I'm talking about here? No, I actually. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll put it like this: the even if they never specifically call Phil, the shadow of Phil still looms large over that team. Right. So, like, even if even if Phil is never involved in the process, people are now asking the question, well, why wasn't Phil involved in the process? Why did you never make that call to Phil? Right. So there is no not just because of the basketball history that, that Phil had with the team, but because of the relationship history, not even history, but but the immediacy of Phil's. Uh, role within the organization. Jeannie and Phil were still a thing then. Mm-hmm. And and so like there was no way to not have Phil come up in the conversation here. I think I think Mike D'Antoni was just screwed from the get-go, not not even before, like not even upon his hiring, but he never had a chance as a Lakers coach, ever. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, because of the situation that was going on surrounding the Lakers. So so I mean I, I think the the 
like had he had a training camp and a preseason to figure some of the stuff out, I think it helps a little bit. But every time that team struggles, you're going to have some of that. You're going to, you know, well, you know, Phil is sitting right there. Phil's right there. And if that's mm-hmm. if that team doesn't reach the uh, the the pinnacle of what they were capable of, well, what what could they have done with Phil, right? And that there was no way to escape that given not just what Phil had accomplished with the team before all this went down, but because of his relationship with Jeannie there and his his close ties to the organization that existed at that time. Yeah. Um, I do want to – let's open this up a little bit to talk about the ripple effect that this sent – you know that this. I don't think it's. You know, I don't think it still has the same effect. Maybe that the Anthony or the uh, the Chris Paul veto. You know, it's 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 not as linear. I think as as you as you see that situation being, but there are some things to 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 point out here. Starting with, and I said this a second ago. This was when everybody knew. There were whispers. There were there was some smoke there. But this is when you actually saw the blazing fire, right? This is when you saw. Okay, yeah, these two siblings are just not ever going to see eye to eye. Not just because, like, I get it from Jeannie's standpoint, right, where she's going to say, wait, you just mistreated the most successful coach in the history of our, of our organization in a very public manner. Mm-hmm. You get to go fuck yourself forever, right? Sure. Because that's also my fiance. My... Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> and, 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 you know, you had all that go on. And then from from Jim Buss's standpoint, this guy like it was. It, it, look, I'm I'm speaking only from from my standpoint at the time, and then looking back. But I remember thinking like, no, this was this was Jim's last effort to say screw you forever, Phil. Like mm-hmm. you you think you you're uh, responsible for way too much of the success that that went on. And then if I'm Phil, I'm like. Wait, who are you to point out this in the first place? <laughs> right. right. So this not only was the moment where we learned, okay, Jeannie and Jim were never going to get along, but this also was the beginning of everybody turning on Jim. Yeah. You know, this was this was it. This was there were no fans after the Mike D'Antoni D'Antoni failure. The hashtag fire Jim thing was 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 real loud for a really long time and, and never really went away until he did. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's absolutely the case. And the, the whole, like, Lakers are a family thing, right? Like, yeah. for better or for worse, Phil was part of that family. Mike D'Antoni was not. That literally. also really fueled— <laughs> Literally yes. part of the family. Yes, yes. <laughs> and uh, it also, I think, fueled the—you remember how, like, Magic and Byron Scott and all the old Lakers would— mm-hmm. They fucking hated D'Antoni, man. They did. Like, they did, they that, did not do him any slack at all. And part of that is because he's an outsider, right? And yeah. For better or for worse, that is how the Lakers operate. And if you are going to bring someone new from, from the outside, Frank Vogel's an example, right? Yeah. Um, it has to be something that, like, if, if the people who are there and part of the Lakers family do not embrace that person, that guy really doesn't stand a chance. And I, I think that's what we saw with, with that, with Mike D'Antoni and the Lakers. Yeah, well, I think it's not... Like, they didn't do enough to tell those guys. Like, if you're going to hire Mike D'Antoni, if you're going to hire an outsider, you have to approach Magic. You have to talk to Byron. You I have mean, to talk to the family guys. And you have to say, of- hey, guys, give us a little bit of help here. Right? Give us a little help. They didn't. So, go ahead. I go agree, ahead. man. But, all right. But let me put it this way. If yeah. you're, like, say, when you met Jen's family, right? Mm-hmm. Like, 
it ain't them. Like you go to the first function, right? The family function where it's, it's all Jen's side of the family and you, Mm -hmm. right. And she's introducing you to her family and the extended family and all that. It ain't on them to like come up to you and make a good impression. It's the other way around, right? Like it's on you to fit in or to make efforts to fit in with the family. So I would argue that that actually goes to your point about D'Antoni's people skills is that when you come from the outside into a, an organization with the history of the Lakers and with all of these just iconic figures swirling around the franchise and having a voice and a say on TV and just in general, like you got to come to that. Like you, if, if you're Mike D'Antoni, you need to be like, Hey, I, I'd love to have a, have lunch with you magic and pick your brain. Right. And just yeah. get on the same page. He didn't have time to do that either though. Like to right. be fair, that's, that's part of it. But I mean, you, you, you gotta eat lunch. That's, you know, when it comes to the business world and all that, all of us got to eat lunch, right? Or, mm-hmm. or dinner or, or whatever. Like, do that with magic one night. Even if it's early on, even if you're, yes, you're trying to catch up, you're recovering from, it was a knee surgery. I think I said back surgery earlier, but um, you got to do all that. But, like, part of it is you need to, like, you need to make those efforts to bring those people into your tent, especially when you're coming in and being like, oh, yeah, yeah, that whole system offense that, you had done in the past with the triangle offense and now the Princeton offense this year, I'm going to come in and I'm going to do my own thing. And the, that whole way that you guys won a whole bunch of championships. No, 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 actually you're wrong. It's my different way of doing it. That, <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't matter if he's right or to whatever degree he's right. you got to get those people on board. And he never did. I remember his intro press conference where he was like, yeah, we're going to run. We're going to play like super fast. And I'm like, you see the roster you have, right? Yeah. I remember that team. I don't think it was that team, but there was a. It might have been no, because the Ramon session year was the fall. No, the year before, right? Mm-hmm. And and like they brought in Ramon sessions, and I remember like really liking the way that he played. He gave them this like shot in the arm. He played really fast off the bench, or, mm-hmm. or maybe he even started or whatever. And 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 then I remember there were like reports of complaints from his teammates that he was actually playing too fast. So then they hired Antoni. <laughs> And, and and like everybody is supposed to play at Ram, Ramon session speed, if not faster. And I'm like, nah, there's no way this is going to work. There's just there's just no, no no way that these guys are going to want to get up and down the court that that quickly. Yeah. Um, is there is there any? So the 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 rift that we saw between Genie and Jim, it's not that it was born there, but it was certainly uh, that was that was the last straw of the relationship that that, that they were going to have there. And then from there, we saw the frustration that just kind of grew uh, with Jim Buss, with Mitch Kupchak, and then eventually, you know, they give way, they let, they're let go, they're replaced by Magic, and obviously we know how that goes. Um, in a way, so if D'Antoni is successful, those guys are likely, it's the same kind of question that I asked earlier. Right. If D'Antoni is even relatively successful, because he was not seen as even relatively successful, um, <clears throat> do you do you see a situation here where Mitch and Jim last a little bit longer, or do you think that enough damage was done there that Jeannie started right there and then, kind of counting down the days until she had reason to legally and, and legislatively get rid of of Jim? 
Yeah, so I think that when it comes to Jim and Jeannie, that it definitely that that was the last try. I think you nailed it with that. I, I would say the one thing I always wonder about with that season is what if Steve Nash was healthy? Yeah. Uh, it was kind of a freak injury, right, where he shattered his shin and had all sorts of nerve issues for the rest of his career uh, against Damian Lillard in the second game of the season. Not only mm-hmm. was Nash the point guard, if anybody was going to be able to be a bridge to Kobe and to yeah. Powell, it's Steve Nash, right? Like, who right. knows Mike D'Antoni's system better than Steve Nash? And I think Nash did have the people skills and did have that ability to connect with as a great player that, that all those guys respected to be that that guy who can speak what D'Antoni wants and with the correct touch and, and uh, that Kobe and Powell and those guys needed to hear from somebody that they respected. So maybe... If Nash is healthy, they're a little bit better, and they can implement what they want to do a little better. Nash maybe becomes more of an off-ball shooter as the season goes on, as Kobe really takes those that on-ball, I'm a bad MF-er, I can score and pass responsibilities. Um, like, yeah, that uh, that Nash's injury is the one, like, ah, maybe it could have... It been we so much different been right yeah uh but i think that's a little bit of a stretch and the things were kind of doomed from from the start yeah yeah i think i think d'antoni already had such a thin margin for error that once nash went down it was just over and i'm not even sure like you're saying that 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 margin for error that there was there was a margin for success right it wasn't so much a margin for error that there was a margin for success that that <laughs> Uh, that might not have ever really existed, just given the entire way that he was hired, the time that he was hired, the situation, the situation around the Lakers and Phil and the Magic and Byron as an extension. Because I was also like, right now, when you talk about you know analytics and and spacing and 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 the way the basketball is played right now, most of the old heads have kind of sort of realized, okay, yeah, some of that stuff really holds credence, mm-hmm. right? If if not, you know. I don't think the guys like Chuck or anybody like that are ever going to say, like, you know, we need more threes from your center, right? Mm-hmm. I don't think that's ever going to be the situation. But we have we have gone far enough in, in this direction where guys like Magic, guys like Byron, guys like, you know, the old heads might begrudgingly say, okay, maybe we were a little— uh, a little reactionary in in regards to the the concepts that Mike D'Antoni brought about, right? Yeah. Um, so you had all of that kind of balled up, all of the tension between the, the the legitimate family issues. You had the organizational concerns. You had the desperation that was born out of not just the basketball situation that the Lakers were in, but also Dr. Jerry Buss's health situation. You had all of these tensions kind of balled up in this thing and then eventually hurled in Mike D'Antoni's direction. Uh, somewhat fair uh, mostly unfair in my opinion, but he was never given a situation where he was he was going to be able to succeed. Um, no. And and I I do think a lot of that stuff, a lot of the the attempted modernization and and just the outright and unmitigated failure in their initial attempt to do so, I think that did kind of teach the Lakers that that went a little a little ways in teaching them. Okay, if we're actually going to have to do this, we have to really fully commit a little bit harder. To to trying to do that, do you, would you would you roll with that as as a as a concept given where they're at right now as an as an organization? 
I think that probably got the ball rolling, but I think that it took a long time. And also, yeah. the, all the draft picks that like we went all in and it failed that year. Yeah. And so it took a long time for us to regain our footing. Uh, I would argue even, <laughs> you know, you could say as, as long as this year, right? Between yeah. 2000, that was the last time we made the playoffs. Um, and I, I do think that we started moving more in that direction. I still think we have some ways to go in, in that respect of, of modernizing. Um, and that I think that having LeBron James and Anthony Davis uh, can really, you know, mask a lot of that um, <laughs> yeah. just organizationally. But uh yeah, I do think that 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 was that was the seminal season in pushing us in that direction for the first time. I do agree with that. It it actually is somewhat surprising that they ever went back to that experiment, right? That they ever even tried it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because yeah. it was such a failure that that I could see the Lakers just kind of closing up shop and saying, "Nope, actually, we had a lot of success without yeah, modernizing. See, We're exactly just going to stick we with didn't it." Do this right. <laughs> right. Yeah. right. All right, well, this is fun. Let us know what you guys think here between, you know, Phil and Mike and which team were you on and which team do you remain on. I I think the objectively right side of history to be on is probably Phil, even mm-hmm. though I think Mike D'Antoni yeah. was given an unfair chance at the, at yeah, the job. Um, both things can be true at the same time. Yeah. All right, that's going to do it for this episode of the Lockdown Lakers podcast. Fun week so far. We have a fun guest for you guys uh, for tomorrow's show to wrap things up. Have a great rest of your day. Make somebody else's. We will talk to you tomorrow.